0: Man, what a perfect invitation for what we're about to do that uh, just... Come lean in and, and take in the, the, the resurrection story. See what God wants to do. Uh, uh, my name is Bill Stafir. I'm the, the senior pastor here at Beach Point. And before this story uh, captivated my life, I, probably the one story that seemed to have my, my greatest attention that I can remember happened in uh, uh, when I was a, a junior in high school. Uh, I played baseball at Ocean View High School just down the street. And uh, before you think that this is a, a story about how uh, illustrious my baseball career was three of my teammates went on to play in the major leagues. The next picture really shows my my role in the team. I was on the bench, <laughs> but I did lead the Sunset League in best socks. I, I had a strong stir-up game, uh, and so... We were on a bus ride to Westminster High School to play a game, and uh, and and we were we were captivated by an issue of Sports Illustrated. Now it wasn't the swimsuit issue; it was actually a story about a guy named Sid Finch. And and Sid Finch was this pitcher that the New York Mets were hiding during spring training. They were he was pitching in these tents and no one knew about him, but finally the story came out about him. He was this eclectic guy who played the French horn, and he wore boots instead of cleats, and he was in the Himalayas, and all these kinds of crazy things about this guy. But the thing that stood out about him was this. He threw the ball 168 miles an hour. Now, just to give you some perspective, uh, at that time, only Nolan Ryan and Goose Gossage were being clocked at 100 miles per hour. Now, for our perspective, we were facing pitches about 80 to 90 miles an hour. So, uh, my, in fact, I can remember the very first time I saw a 90-mile-an-hour pitch. Can you remember that, that moment? I didn't even see it. I just heard it. Uh, in fact, the, the guy, uh, we had this, this stud pitcher named Dean Dowdy. He just threw it right down the middle. The catcher caught it. And then he looked, I can remember, him. he looked right up at me and goes, was that not good enough to swing at? And I'm like, man, I didn't even see it. I only heard it. <laughs> I started, I mean, it was just like, oh, I'm just going to swing when his arm gets here. I'm just... So... Imagine what you're uh, here. We are a bunch of high school kids, and we're like, This guy throws the ball twice as fast as what we're looking at. And we're like, well, What are we going to do? Like, our teams have no chance. We're panicking, we're, we're trying to strategize for, for our teams. And the whole time, our coach, uh, his name is Greg Sperl, he was such a great guy, uh, beyond just being a coach, I think a good mentor to us. And he was just taking the whole conversation in very patiently until the bus stopped and we got off. And he just goes, you guys will believe anything. And we're like, what are you talking about, coach? And he's like, did you notice what the date was of that article? And one of the guys runs back on the bus, grabs the Sports Illustrated, looks at the copy, April 1st, 1985. It was all an April Fool's joke. And so every April 1st, For 33 years since, I always hear this voice in the back of my head of my coach saying, boy, you guys will believe anything. So I'm always on guard on April 1st. I don't know what any of you are planning for later today for your friends or family. You can just kind of give me a nod or a wink like I've got something. Just don't make it creepy. Um, uh, (laughs) But here we are. You think all these years later, there will be about 1,500 people on our two campuses uh, uh, over these two days, a, a couple billion worldwide gathering together to celebrate the resurrection of our king. And in the midst of that, you are going to hear these whispers, aren't you? Man, you guys will believe anything, won't you? Right? And it's a fair thing because resurrection is not an easy thing to believe in. In fact, when you kind of think about it, I mean, even the disciples, even Jesus' closest followers, weren't expecting it, weren't looking for it. I I think uh, the scholar John uh, Stott says it best. He said, uh, God performed a dramatic act by which he arrested the process of decay, decomposition, and corruption. He rescued Jesus out of the realm of death and transformed his body into a new vehicle for his personality so that he had a new power and was now immortal, never to die again. That is something new that never had happened before and has never yet happened since. See, the truth is, no one in Jesus' camp was looking for resurrection. Uh, in fact, everyone, when, when, when that time had come, I mean, they, they, were, they were afraid. Come Friday, when they had taken Jesus and arrested him and, and crucified him, uh, they were confused, they were, they, were, uh, they were lost, they were locked away in hiding. They had all scattered from him. They weren't looking for a resurrection. They weren't expecting a resurrection. In fact, if, if anything was true, they were wondering, did we get the story wrong? We thought he was the one. We, we thought he was going to lead us. We thought he was going to save us. Did we get the story wrong? And what they, what they didn't realize was come that Sunday morning, Jesus was going to turn their sorrow into joy, and he was going to continue to rewrite their stories and that's the big idea I want you to see as we look at our text today, our passage we're gonna look at, is that the risen Jesus wants to rewrite your story. I want you to see today that Jesus is alive, that he has been risen, and, and the fact that in that very first Easter, he was rewriting stories that, that those who encountered him experienced this, that he still is doing that today. He still wants to do that today. I, I don't know um, what the last book is that you read, but sometimes you know you pick up a book and you try to read the story, and it just doesn't grab you, does it? But, but you, you're, you're kind of invested in it, and so you keep muscling through the pages, you keep turning, you're kind of hoping something's going to grab you, and then finally, you give up on it, and you kind of just throw it to the side, and you, you decide to start again. Let me ask you this: uh, How's the story of your life going? Is it exciting? Is it captivating? Is it filled with hope and promise and expectation? Is it the story of redemption? Are you looking forward to seeing the next chapters and the next pages come to life? See, today I want you to see that, that Jesus is alive. And, and he wants to meet you where you are. He wants, you, he wants to encounter you where you are. And no matter what has gone on up to this point, uh, as he meets you, he wants to say, let's, let's write these next chapters together. And so today I, I want to invite you to look with me to, at John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And it's, uh, it's a fascinating story of, uh, of these encounters. You know, There are a number of different uh, encounters that people had with Jesus on this day, on the, on, uh, the Easter Sunday. But then there are a number of... of uh, appearances that happen after this Sunday. And, and uh, every single encounter is, it, it's kind of breathtaking to see what happens as those people meet him. But today I want you to see the very first encounter because it's so important. One, to the building of our faith. But second, it happens with someone in, in, in such a surprising way. Uh, you just never would sus- suspect that this would be the person that Jesus would appear to First. And so uh, I want us to look at this. So uh, on Friday, Jesus is crucified, and once he had died, they took his body down from the cross. They wrapped it in about 100 pounds of linens and spices. They wrapped his body, and uh, they placed it in a tomb uh, before sundown. They rolled the stone in front, and, uh, and the, uh, they, they weren't able to finish all the burial process, uh, but they did most of it. They were able to get him in there, uh, seal the tomb. There was a group of women that were watching this happen. Saturday was the Sabbath. So from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, you didn't work and they were honoring God. But you can tell they were filled with grief. On Sunday morning, these women got up early. They wanted to go and, and anoint the body with, with uh, different spices. And they were thinking, "How when we get there, how are we going to uh, roll that giant stone away? And so they're kind of uh, perplexed by this. And John does something fascinating. John says, so the, all the accounts talk about the women coming to the tomb. But John says, he does this a couple times in this passage, and I want you to, to notice this. He, he takes this wide-angle view, and then he, he focuses in on something particularly. He says, look, you can read the other three guys and that, all the parts of their story, but let me just tell you a special part of this story. And he does this in the text we're looking at today. And he says, I want you to focus in on one of the women. Her name is Mary. And so we're going to look at, at Mary's story. And as this was happening, as he focuses in, uh, when she gets there, uh, she sees that the, the, the tomb is open and she fears the worst. The, the worst fear would be grave robbers. And it, was, it happened enough in that time uh, that there was a, an expectation that, that uh, uh, if it happened, there would be, uh, there was capital punishment. There was, uh, in fact, the, the uh, authorities were concerned that maybe the disciples would try to steal the body create a hoax of resurrection so they created a seal around it uh, uh, a way of of, if anyone tampered with it they would know they uh, uh, stationed a a series of Roman guards to to, to guard the tomb there was no way someone was going to steal the body and and the authorities wanted to make sure that wasn't going to happen so you can imagine her surprise when she shows up as the women show up as they see this that no one's there that the tomb is empty that the body is gone and all of this anguish of what she's gone through now is even worse. Imagine what it would be like if someone close to you had, had passed away and you decided to go to their gravesite to bring flowers or just to remember them, to honor them. And you saw the hole dug up and the coffin was, was thrown open. There was no body inside. And your grief would now turn to anger and frustration and confusion, all those, those emotions. And this is where we find ourselves as we begin in verse 1. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now stop there for a second because something really important is happening here. John is trying to draw our attention to to this empty tomb. And so when Mary notices that the tomb is empty, she runs to the disciples and she knocks on the door and she tells them the body is missing. But did you notice the way that the disciples responded? They did not go, hooray! They were not in the countdown. Four, three, four. To, all right? they, 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 don't, they weren't talking about what Easter service they were going to go to. They weren't singing praise songs. They were confused. They didn't know what was going on. And so they risked. Uh, Peter and John decide they'll take the risk. They go over. They run back to the tomb to see what's going on. And when they run to the tomb, what we see is, again, John brings this focus on. Now, John, first of all, wants to focus on this. I beat Peter to the tomb. Did you notice that? He says it a couple times. Just so Peter knows, I want you guys to know I'm faster than Peter. So he goes, we got there to the tomb. And there's six Greek words that are used for the idea to see something, and three of those words are used here, three different words. And what John wants to help you understand is there was kind of this progression. He says, I got there and I looked in and I kind of took it in. He says, But I didn't I didn't go inside, I didn't know what was going on. But he says, then Peter came, and Peter he kind of rushed past me and he went into the tomb and he examined everything. And did you notice what he's examining? He's examining the grave clothes. Why is this important? Because if you look at the description, what you begin to see is this. Uh, the, the process of, of, of wrapping the body, they would take these strips of linen, they would, they would dip them, they would wrap the body kind of like a, like a mummy, but you basically kind of have this hardened shell. It would be like a cocoon, and it would go all the way up, and then you'd have a separate piece for the head. And notice what he sees. The, the grave clothes are undisturbed. They're in place, but there's no body in them. And so John's trying to point out something to, the, to those of us who would say, man, you believe anything. He's, all, he's saying, look, if someone was gonna steal the body, they're not gonna unwrap the body and then wrap it back up and kind of sit it there and make it look like there's a body there. If Jesus just woke up, if he wasn't actually dead, he's not gonna unwrap himself and then wrap that all back up and lay it perfectly. He's saying, look, it, it, this is what Peter's struggling with. This is what he's investigating. He's, he, he, Peter realizes it's like the body just vaporized it it, it through these grave clothes he's not stolen he's not he, he didn't just get up like he's gone but i can't figure out where he is and then it says that john then enters into the tomb as well and he takes it in and literally and the word basically means this it means that it clicked for him he saw and he believed He didn't exactly know what it was that was happening But what he knew was this I I don't know how it's working I don't know where he is I don't know what's up But but he's alive He's somewhere And so they go back to the the disciples And Mary now comes back to the tomb And she she arrives there and, And she's just Her focus is on the tomb She's staring into the tomb She's weeping And notice what happens It says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned around toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Well, John does something really important. He shifts the focus back to Mary where his story began. And he wants you to, to take in her experience with this. And this is important, first of all, to understand a little bit of Mary's background. Her name is Mary Magdalene, which, which means Mary from Magdala. Now, if you're from Magdala, it's probably not a good thing because Magdala really was known for prostitution. So, uh, what scholars pretty much believe is Mary's background was prostitution. That was her, her kind of checkered past. Well, we know enough about when we read the stories of Mary in the scriptures that Mary had a very difficult past. A very broken past and there was a lot of things she was running from from being objectified from the pain and and the isolation from the failure all the hurt and 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 anguish that her life had went through she had sinned much but when she encountered jesus she was loved much and she was forgiven much In fact, it says that Mary became a follower of Jesus. She countered his presence and, and he began to rewrite her story in such a powerful way that she began to be a follower all the way from Galilee, all the way to Jerusalem. She was there. When everyone else scattered, Mary stayed at the cross and she took it all in. She was loyal to Jesus. In fact, sometimes when you look at the scriptures, it's hard to imagine anyone loving Jesus as much as Mary did. So think about what John is saying. There's two things that are so powerful about this. So Mary's looking into the tomb. She's crying. She, she can't really focus. And she sees these angels. And the angels say, why are you weeping? This is not a moment of weeping. This is a moment of rejoicing. She's trying to explain why. Now, part of Mary's concern at this point is if they've taken the body, maybe they're going to make sport of him. Maybe they're going to throw him up on a post. They're going to try to just humiliate him. She's just asking, can I just, I just want the body. I just want to, I want to honor him. He meant so much to me. So even when she hears the footsteps behind her, she thinks it's the gardener, the caretaker of this, this garden tomb area. And she asks the same question. Where have you, where have you taken him? I'll, I'll go get him. I'll, I'll pick him up. See, the same question gets asked her this time by Jesus. Why are you weeping? Who is it you're looking for? And my guess is this, is that between the tears and her focus on the tomb, she doesn't recognize who it is until she hears his voice call her name. Mary. And that's all it takes. And she turns around, teacher, master, and she grabs a hold of Jesus like, and there's no way you're getting away from me this time. And you notice what he has to say. You got to let go. Okay, I've got, a, I've got a job for you to do. And he gives her a calling and he gives her a commission. And the one who had been running for her past, from her past, is now running for the one who calls her by name. And it's such a powerful moment because think about this. Uh, uh, for those that would say to us, boy, you guys will believe anything, John is saying, look, if I was making this up, if I wanted to convince you, I would not have had Jesus appear to Mary. See, first of all, in the first century a woman wasn't considered a reliable witness in in a court of law. It's a lot different then than it is today. But she's not just an ordinary woman, she's a woman also with a checkered past. He's saying, Look, even if I was gonna pick a woman, I'm not picking this one. He's saying, Look, I'm just telling you what happened. And you're going to have to do with it what you will. But when Jesus rose from the dead, it was good for him to appear first to Mary. And I'm just telling you what happened. And I love that he appears first to Mary. Not to someone great in society. Not to an apostle. Not to any other person. But he appears to Mary because he says to her as he says to any of us, I love you. I've come for you and I am going to rewrite your story if you let me. It is such a powerful moment for us to see because we see ourselves in that story. We see not only, wow, John has been giving us all this evidence all the way, the empty tomb, the grave clothes, the fact that he even lists the fact that we were hiding in shame. Like if we're making the story up, we leave that detail out. I'm just telling you how it went. And the first witness was this woman with all her checkered past, but that's how it went down. And if you keep listening, I'll tell you more stories of people he appeared to. But John's fine with letting you know this. He appeared first to Mary. And for you and I, in our lives, we look and say, if he, if he loves her this much, he loves me, and he would appear to me in the same way. See, I love what happens in this story because I think it really is a story of what's happening in this church. I think that's, I think Joy is right. The, the Beach Point really is, a, it's about a, sto- a, a church of people whose stories are encountering the risen Jesus and, and he's rewriting the chapters uh, uh, different than they would have turned out. As, he, as, as our people encounter him, they are seeing their stories be rewritten from how they would have gone. See if I were to tell you 20 years ago that Brandon Lay will be one of the most influential youth pastors in Southern California you would say bill you will believe anything. <laughs> Brandon was a guy with a with kind of a checkered past in our youth group. He's now our middle school pastor, but everything that has changed in Brandon's story changed because he encountered the risen Christ. Here's Brandon's story.
1: When I was in middle school, I had a blast. It was a, the best years of my life. I used that year as an escape from my home life, which is full of uh, stress and destruction and abuse. I was uh, the seventh kid uh, in my family. Growing up, I, you know, my parents split up when I was around two or three years old. It, it left an emptiness inside of me, and I was searching for it for different things and, and different people. I was invited to youth group, The Rock. Uh, in my freshman year in high school, I met Bill. He was the youth pastor and he surrounded me with a few adults. And I remember being uh, down on Main Street, Huntington Beach with Kevin and JP and Kevin sat down and with me and asked me uh, if I wanted to accept Jesus. And I said, yes. They presented me and they gifted me with a Bible with their phone numbers and with their contacts. and Yeah, for the first time in my life, I felt connected to our family. At school, I was living a different life. I was uh, living a life of drug addiction. Um, I was also selling drugs on the side to make money. My junior year, there was a rumor that I was selling drugs on the youth group campus. I thought Bill was going to get me arrested I remember not attending youth group and, and, and dismissing all my leaders who wanted to hang out with me because I found something better uh, at that moment. The guy who, uh, that I was doing a lot of drugs with, that was his dad who owned Jack Surfboards. His dad just invited me to work for him. I was, at that time, 21, making enough money to support myself and probably another person. And I enjoyed that. I enjoyed creating and making money. And partying was a lifestyle in that industry. So I began hanging out, doing drugs, and waking up and trying to work. And I worked at Jack's for nine years. For me, that was the turning point of how empty my life was. My friend and I just decided to just do drugs one day. And from coming down from drugs that night, I prayed. I looked over and there was a Bible, the Bible that my leaders gave me. Nine years from moving from different location to locations, this Bible remained with me. I prayed to God that if he's real that he he has to show up or I was gonna end my life. The next morning after coming down from drugs, I went to work like I always do and got onto Facebook like I always do. And the first thing that popped up on Facebook was do you know this person and it was Bill Stafiri and I thought yes and he was my youth pastor and I thought this was might be a sign from God so I reached out to Bill and messaged him and he invited me to lunch and then he invited me to church I started attending the bridge started from the beginning to know Jesus and I felt like I was living a double life I was still attending Uh, church, and I was still partying at that time, and then I remember vividly that that message on Sunday, the invitation to follow Jesus daily. That was the moment where I had to give my life over to Jesus. Not part of my life, not my work life, not my social life, not my uh, dating life, but everything to Jesus. But one day at a time, I felt Closer to God, I felt closer to Jesus. I was baptized. I, I and then I started to to see where God was where God was leading me. So during my time at the bridge, I began serving at church. I began setting up tables, to go on mission trips. Then was invited to being a middle school leader, and then getting called into full-time ministry as a middle school pastor. In the midst of all this, I met my wife Bonnie. We have a a beautiful daughter. My family's growing because I'm having another child, a baby boy on the way. I couldn't imagine being where I'm now without God's love and God's pursuit. God pursued me and did that in my life and, and, and continues to do that and and I'm grateful and I'm honored. That was the invitation that Jesus gave me, was to follow him. And that was through the gift of a Bible. That was the gift of someone introducing me how to follow Jesus. My name is Brandon Lay, and this is my Risen Story.
0: The risen Jesus still wants to rewrite your story. Uh, what are you running from? Who are you running for? You know, as I, I, I think about this story, I, I see for John uh, the, the rewriting of his story meant to believe. Uh, John says, "When I encountered the the tomb, when I when I realized that he was alive." I I believed, and, and he continues to tell these stories of encountering Jesus. In fact, he ends this chapter with these words. He says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And John says, believing for me wasn't enough. I've written these stories. I'm sharing these stories so that you will believe as well. Because if you believe, you will have life. Life eternal with him. A life with him now. A life that will never end. I have seen him. He is alive. Our life doesn't end. It goes on. And I want you to believe. And that's why I'm sharing these stories. For Mary, it was the beginning of a new identity that no longer was her life going to be identified by her past. Not the thing she was running from, but the one that she was now running for. For Brandon, it was the decision to, to not uh, be searching just for this kind of empty happiness, but to, to, to find this new life in Jesus and to begin this new life with him. And for Brandon, what you, you hear in that, uh, there's such a beautiful part there, but what he realized was that he, he couldn't just give a part of his life over to, to Jesus. If, if Jesus was alive, if he really was the king, if he really is the Lord, the risen Lord, then he had to give every part of his life over to him. And so I want to leave you this, this Sunday with a challenge. Uh, would you let Jesus rewrite your story? Would you let him be the author of the pages still to come Uh, and and I don't know what it looks like for you maybe maybe it is for you today is a day to confess I believe now I don't quite understand it all and you may feel a lot like how John and Peter felt in that day I don't don't quite get it all but you have me I I I, Jesus I believe and and I want to continue to see what this is all about maybe like for brandon it it is the surrender of your life you're all of your life maybe there's parts you realize you're still holding back there's there's a there's a there's a spiritual part to who you are and then there's just the other part of who you are but you realize that there's not going to be two parts to me anymore he gets all of my life or maybe like mary you're just ready to say where do you want to where do you want me to run what do you have for me to do what do the next pages look like? Because I'm ready to go tell whoever you want or do whatever you want. I'm here. Send me. I'll do whatever you ask. What does it look like for you? And so I want to take a moment. and I want us to pray together. And so let's bow together. And if you want to confess your belief, I'm going to pray a prayer that uh, for many is just, they felt like these have been words that just articulate what it means to, be, to offer their, their life as a commitment to Jesus. And you can pray silently these words. Jesus, I believe that you died to forgive me. I believe that you rose to give me new life. And I know you are inviting me to walk with you, to follow you, to trust you with my life. And so I give you my life today. And Can I give us just a few seconds just to think through this? Jesus, what do you want the next chapter of my story to look like? Just offer that as a prayer to him and and listen for a moment and see if there's something he wants to say to you this Easter.